Well, my name is uh, Phil Spagnolo, and I'm one of the uh, pastors here at the Chapel Church. And I get the honor of sharing with you from John chapter 21 this morning. Uh, we've been traveling through the book of John for a while. John 21 will be the, the closure of the book of John uh, this morning. So if you need a Bible, which uh, looks like Sal and some others have Bibles, so you can raise up your hand and they you bring a Bible for you if you need a Bible. John chapter 21. So, John 21, in some ways, is a bit of a surprise. It really seems that John has wrapped up his argument, he's summed up his purpose, and if you look at chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, like, he comes to this conclusion, it says, my, my as well title, the purpose of this book. He has called all his readers, you and I, People of all time that have read this book to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and to have life in his name. He's declared his purpose. It's a call to have life in Jesus' name, to follow him as Christ. It's the end, it seems. He drops the mic, the curtain has fallen, and the credits begin to roll. But, I don't know if you've watched a Marvel movie, but similar to a Marvel movie, you have to wait a little bit longer. There's this story that's bigger, and you're waiting for that little scene to pop in. And this is what happens here. The credits roll, and there's a preview that comes up here in John chapter 21 that answers kind of the now what question. Now what? Oh, and what do we see? Well, the camera, it pans over, and it focuses on Peter and the disciples. And Jesus has risen in power Peter, though, had betrayed him publicly. And all the disciples had deserted him. They um, have, you know, just great shame over their, their cowardice. That Peter betrayed him um, was just this dark shadow that sort of looms over the situation. What would happen in this, this new time of the church, this apostolic age? How would these followers live out what they were supposed to do? Could Peter and the disciples ever escape their shame, and specifically Peter? On this final scene of the Gospel of John, this preview of what is to come, Jesus uses shame-filled flashbacks to reveal Peter's past so he might establish his future. There's some flashbacks to the past that reveal Peter's future. I think shame is often experienced in this way. It's these scenes that pop up in our minds that are replayed. We think back to some event or something that takes place in the past, and we begin to play them like a reel in our minds. Or like that song that you just can't get out. It just sort of eats at you. And you get this kind of dirty, icky feeling that you want to clean. Um, that you, or at least you want to hide it from public display. There's these little flashes that take place. That take place. And the guilt from that shame, it separates us from God. And it separates us from others. And this can be a short time but it can be for a very, very long time that shame can come along. So today, in light of Peter's shame, and I'd say our shame too, because we all have it, we ask, what do we do with our shame? What do we do with our shame? And the answer will be found in how Jesus treats Peter's shame. And you'll see, this is our big idea, big idea up on the screen is this. We are to reveal your shame for Jesus mercifully honors the shame. 
reveal your shame, for Jesus mercifully honors your shame. And this can be a, seem a little bit of a contradiction, because shame is the very thing we want to hide, but actually the way to heal shame is by being revealed. And we'll see that in our text. We're going to look at our text in two parts. Uh, part A will be shame revealed. This will be verses 1 through 9, shame revealed 1 through 9. And then part B, honor bestowed, verses 10 through 24. And then 25 will throw in at the end. <laughs> so let me read verses 1 through 9, and we'll consider shame revealed. Verses 1 through 9, shame revealed. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Obvious. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciple came in the boat, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out of, out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. We'll stop there. <laughs> it's, 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 it's an interesting story, kind of a funny story in some ways. In this passage, Jesus is revealing himself again post-resurrection, but in his revelation of himself, he's also revealing the hearts of Peter and the disciples, and I would say you and I as well. Peter knows that Jesus has risen, but he also knows what he's, what he's done. We know what Peter has done because we've read the story, we've heard the story. Peter knows the shame of what he's done deep inside of his heart. He, he can feel it in a way that we can't. And for that reason, he goes fishing. With six other disciples, he takes along with them. We see that in verse 2. Now, some have said that Peter is backsliding here. He's like going back to his old ways. I don't think that's so. I think Peter knows what kind of man he is. A man that failed in the moment of need. And so he's settled and he rejoices in the fact that Jesus has risen. He's so grateful for that. It's amazing. But he's resigned to the truth that he can't be used anymore. He's done. So he goes back to his normal life. He's got to make a living. And so he goes back to fishing. And he takes the gang along with him. And, and this is where we see our first of two flashbacks in which Jesus reveals Peter's shame. And we'll see two flashbacks. I'm going to call the first one a bad day fishing. And the second one we'll call it campfire. All right? A bad day fishing and campfire. So in the first one, the bad day fishing, we read in verse 3, it says, uh, at least part of the verse 3, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. So you and I... I think all of us know, this has happened before, hasn't it? When Peter first met Jesus, he'd been out fishing for basically all that evening. And 
they had a bad day fishing. They caught zip. They caught nothing. How many of you had a bad day fishing? How many of you admitted to a bad day fishing? All right. So this was, not a, this was not a fish story they're telling. They couldn't even tell a fish story. They had no fish. And so while they're cleaning their nets there, they, you, Jesus, Jesus used that time to preach the gospel. He preached it from their boats. And when he was done, um, he told Peter, go out and drop the nets in again. And, you know, these fishermen, after some complaint, a little moaning, they go ahead and they do it. They comply. And they go out there, and you, know, you remember what happens. They don't caught, catch a little bit of fish. They, cut, they catch boat. They catch boatloads of fish, literally boatloads of fish. And Peter, after this, he is so moved from first hearing Jesus preach and then seeing the boatloads of fish that he comes back to the shore and he just falls on his knees before Jesus and he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He witnessed this and then he just had this sense of shame before Jesus. So, Peter, having this happen on his first meeting with Jesus, this sense of shame for just being in his presence. You can read that story later if you want to. I encourage you to look back at Luke chapter 5. It gives the whole details. But now we fast forward three years, and here we are again. Someone from the shore, we know it to be Jesus, but they don't, says, have you caught any fish? <laughs> you know, and obviously Jesus knows they've had a bad luck at fishing today, but, but he wants to reveal something to them. So they say no, but... Unlike last time when he says, well, cast your nets on the other side, they, they just comply. And so they throw their nets on the other side, and out comes the fish. And this time the nets are bursting, it says, with fish. And Peter, it's kind of interesting, verse 7 says he was stripped for work. I don't think that means he was buck naked, but he had a little on. He, he covers himself with an outer garment, and he abruptly jumps in, and he begins swimming for the shore. So... We know this. This repeating situation, it's not a coincidence. Jesus is revealing something about Peter's shame through this flashback to his past. His empty nets are a bright symbol of his lack of ability, his lack of resources to fix his problem. He can't even do what a fisherman's supposed to do, and that is catch fish. <laughs> he can't do that. He, his attire in his boat stripped, stripped for work, highlights his nakedness, his shame. It's a haunt, it's a haunting appearance. His haunt, it's his haunting appearance before God and men. Peter's sin was public and it was seen by all. And his shame here is exposed. This bad day fishing, again, it's no coincidence. This is the first time, oh, sorry, in the first time when Peter had met Jesus, he was ashamed just by hearing him preach and getting the fish. This time, Jesus, or Peter knows all the more how much, how wonderful Jesus is, how much he loves, but then he also knows how he betrayed his Lord. And so he says, I'm disqualified from service. Just look at me. Jesus uses this flashback to stir up his shame. And that leads to our second flashback. Look at verse 9. It says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. So here's a campfire. <laughs> when the disciples reached shore, they saw that Jesus had made this charcoal fire. Now, in some ways, you know, big deal. Jesus has a campfire. But it was a big deal for Peter. I think you know this. Where was Peter 
when he betrayed Jesus. He was before a charcoal fire. John 18.18, 18, the word charcoal here and the word charcoal there are the only, other, other two, only two places in John where that same phrase is used. Jesus is bringing back a flashback to Peter's mind. I'm sure um, Peter began to think of himself warming himself by the fire there as Jesus suffered. And it was by that fire where Peter was questioned by a few people, one being a little girl. And not once, not twice, but three times he denies his Lord before the campfire. The, The charcoal fire is another flashback for Peter in his mind. It's no coincidence. It's Imagine the emotions of his heart. Remember he said, if all else fail you, I will die with you. I'm sure he remembered that. And then also he then remembered how when times got tough, he was cowardly and he denied Jesus. And then he probably heard that rooster, that cock crow in his mind. You ever heard a sound that kind of plays in your mind, it reverberates in your ears? Some phrase that you said or you heard? And then most painfully, I think, is when... In Luke twenty two sixty one, it says that Jesus looked over at Peter when he did that. Imagine that gaze of Peter and the shame he felt at that moment. It's a flashback. Imagine Peter's emotion at this point. These memories would remind Peter that Jesus is altogether wonderful. His suffering for him was altogether for wonderful. But he would also say, I'm ineligible. I'm unable. I'm unable to be useful to the Lord. And so, I'm resigned to go fishing. I said this earlier, but it bears repeating. Peter's shame is really the focus here, but it's really about all of us. He represents us all. We all bear shame, young and old. I mean, if you're older, you probably have more shame than others, and I'm getting there. But if you're young, you've had shame. There's things you've done, you remember certain things you've done, where you think back on them and you think, that was, that was mean or hurtful or whatever the case might be. And we flash in those times. And there's guilt that stirs up. There's that icky feeling. There's a discouragement. For others, though, some shame is so deep. Even maybe not even something you did would act upon to you yourself. That it just weighs upon you. And it thwarts your ability to have to be fruitful in life. But in any case, shame is something that needs to be treated. We all deal with shame. People all over the world deal with shame. Christian or non-Christian deal with shame. And, and, and the, the interesting thing about shame is that the way to treat shame, as I'm going to say here, is to, to have it to be revealed. Jesus reveals it for a reason. He reveals it for a merciful reason. Jesus reveals shame in order to defeat its power. But again, that's quite counterintuitive. The way that we want to treat shame is we want to hide it. We want to pull it away from public display. Shame's power is proportional in many ways, to the degree by which it's exposed to God and others. Think about what they did, Adam and Eve did, with the very first sin. They sinned before God, and what were the two things they did first? The first thing they did, they sewed clothes to hide themselves from who? From one another. And to cover themselves from one another. And then, what happened? Well, God said, where are you? And what did they do? They hid So both covering and hiding were the first responses to shame. And that's prototypical of all of us throughout history. We think to hide, we think to cover shame. So, how can Jesus 
revealing shame be the solution to shame rather than increase the level of shame? Well, that is where the good news of the gospel is so very pertinent. When Jesus went to the cross, he bore our shame. Jesus upon the cross was the epitome of shame. He was publicly exposed before all, stripped before man and before God. He was the essence of shame on full display. He had all the resources in the world. He could have forgone the cross. He could have forgone that shame, but instead... He emptied himself and became poor and weak, the form of a serpent upon the cross. While you and I have been unfaithful, unbelieving, unwilling to stand with him, Jesus was fully faithful to God, obedient, trusting, bold to stand with God, even unto death. Therefore, he is worthy to be the ultimate servant of God. And so he became sin and shame for us. This is the good news. The shame that we seek to hide, Jesus willingly revealed and exposed himself to the world, to the punishment of the cross. Now, if Jesus had forgone and not gone to the cross, then revealing shame would, be, would exponentially increase our shame. But because Jesus was exposed on the cross, the revelation of shame is the means of transferring our shame to him. This is it. By confessing our sin and shame, Jesus freely takes the shame upon himself. This is that great swap. Jesus' righteousness for our shame. He gives us mercy. We get his shamelessness. He takes our shame upon himself. This is the good news of the gospel that is offered to all who would receive him. He covers our nakedness because he was uncovered for us. His blood covers your sins. If you're not a Christian, I'd encourage you to turn to Christ, to think about the shame you have and see, what can I do with it? Well, Christ alone. If you're a Christian, we all deal with shame on, at times on a daily basis. Come to Jesus. Ask Jesus. Come to him for help. Let it be unveiled. Let it be uncovered so he might heal. Look to Jesus. So, what do we do with our shame? We confess it to God and one another. Now, this does not mean, I thank the Lord, that we march everybody up here on the stage and we all declare our shame um, publicly before each other. But it does mean that we need to humbly confess our sins to one another. Because it's a merciful path, path of revealing and leading to healing. There are times with certain sin that it becomes more public, and it ought to be public. Think of Peter's sin. Peter's sin was public, and it needed to be healed publicly, revealed publicly. It's, his sin is actually recovered in the Bible for all to see for a long time, his shame is. There's been times in our church where sin has been, and shame has been, and it had to be more public because of the public nature. But that's not most sin. But it must be dealt with. Mostly it's dealt with privately between you and God, between you and a brother or sister, vice versa, there's a way in which sin needs to come to light and shame. And that's where we find healing. Merciful healing. Revealing merciful healing from the Lord. Now, this is where we get to the good part, though. This is good, but there's something even better. 
And this is where we get to part B. Honor bestowed. If you think that having sin revealed and covered is good, well, Jesus goes farther. He not only covers sin, he not only deals with sin, but he honors the ashamed. And we're going to see in this time where we had two flashbacks that brought us back to shame. Now we're going to see three flashbacks that bring us toward restoration and even commission. This is honoring. We'll see that in three different ways. We're going to see a breakfast meal. We're going to see a pattern of threes. And we're going to see a a call to follow. The first will be the breakfast meal. So let me read verses 9 through 13. I'll go back to verse 9 and then read through 13. When they, got on, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. I guess they counted. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. We'll stop right there. So, once they'd made it back to land, they're there on shore, and what do they see? Well, Jesus is having a cookout (laughs) by that charcoal fire, and he's got fish and bread. Now, does that ring a bell? I think it should for many of us. Fish and bread. Has that happened before? Yes. In addition, if you look at this word fish, you know, you can't do it right now. You've got to be Aaron, Aaron Sherwood to know. But that word fish is only found, that particular word fish is only found here and in John chapter 6. It's the story you're thinking about. The story of the feeding of the 5,000 with fish and bread. Fish and bread. The feeding of the 5,000. This is interesting. This is not a coincidence. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with what? couple of fish, a few bread, a kid's lunchbox in John 6, 9. kid has a lunchbox, and he feeds 5,000 with it, all right? Just a few fish and bread, and Jesus makes a feast. This is a reminder, and it's quite spectacular what the writer is saying. It really displays Jesus' mercy. Peter's problem is that he is empty. He's unable. He has not the resources to deal with his circumstances. The irony is he is a fisherman, and he can't catch fish. But on the other hand, Jesus is there on the shore, already has the fish, already has the bread. He has every resource. He can feed 5,000 with a lunchbox. He can cast, he can say, cast the net on the other side of the boat, and the nets begin to break. 153 fish. 153. I I wonder which disciple was the one that decided just to count them all. It it had to be, I don't know, was was Matthew there? I don't think he was there, but he'd be the accountant. So. But, but, but Jesus has all these resources, and he can provide. But he also then invites us, he invites the empty to eat. Jesus honors Peter and his buddies with a meal. Today, if someone invites you to their house for dinner, that's an honor. Then, even more it was honor to be invited over to have a meal with somebody. Peter, who feels unworthy to be used, is welcome to Jesus' campfire. A fire that is not unlike the one where Peter betrayed him beside. Jesus has all the resources. He can provide abundantly for the needy. But he not only provides, 
but he honors them with warm fellowship, welcoming fellowship. He provides and he welcomes the ashamed. That is an honor that Jesus gives. So what do you do with your shame? Well, you receive help from Jesus, who has all the resources, to cover every sinful act you've ever done or had done against you. But we don't stop there. He honors the ashamed. He invites the shamed into an intimate relationship of fellowship. You know, one of the things that shame does is it separates people, right? It separates us from God. But this is a healing of that. It's now inviting you. Shame no longer has power. Jesus is honoring you with himself. So this flashback to the past is teaching Peter, wow, you're not only accepted, but you're honored and included. And that leads to our second one. We're going to look at the pattern of threes. Okay? Look at, well, I'm going to read verses 14 through 19. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him, the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, you were, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after, that, after, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. In John you know, chapter 21, verse 14, we say, it's, John points out, this is the third time that Jesus revealed himself after the resurrection. Little three pops here. Then in verse 15, John includes us on this famous story of Peter and Jesus having this conversation, in which Jesus three times asks Peter, do you love me? And then Peter responds in the affirmative three times, yes, I love you, but you can see there's a hesitancy in how he's saying it because he knows of his own unfaithfulness. And then followed by three times, Jesus instructing Peter, feed, tend my sheep, my lambs. Pattern of threes. Now this is an obvious flashback to Peter's dark night of betrayal. And like a skilled surgeon, Jesus is touching all the right places in Peter in order to restore him. This pattern of threes, and we see in verse 17 how that pattern of threes caused grief in Peter, touched that grief that we feel in shame. He used that, just like a surgeon, to bring Peter out. Jesus has exposed and reassured him of acceptance, but now he goes mercifully farther to recommission Peter for service. The very thing that he thinks he's done with. He knows that he's been unreliable and unable. He feels like he's been canned and fired. The very thing Peter is, Jesus is going right at him, revealing that guilt, and then bringing him out. So, Peter is being restored. And, and he isn't just what he once was, but he's actually now 
in a better place than he once was. He's a different person. Post the resurrection of Christ, post his betrayal, Peter has now been transformed in a new way because he knows the mercy of Christ unlike he ever would prior to the resurrection and his own betrayal. He is now ready because he's experienced the mercy of Christ unlike never before. He is ready not just to catch fish, which he's unable to do, but catch men, be a fisher of men. This flashback has really it's brought him full circle to that first meeting with Jesus when Jesus had said, come, follow me and fish for men. And now he's able because he's received the mercy of Christ in a totally different way. I know many of you have, um, you know the rest of Peter's life. You've read the story. And the proof of this true transformation of his life is that Peter did follow Jesus the rest of his days. And he followed him all the way to death. This is what we read in verse 19 about the way in which Peter would die for Jesus, how he glorified his life. He lived for him all the way to the end of his days. So Peter, the one without resources, the one who was exposed publicly, who betrayed Jesus, he's being honored here by being called to shepherd the good shepherd's sheep. The good shepherd of the universe, he's saying, I want you to shepherd my sheep. This is amazing mercy. This is matchless grace and love. It's Jesus honoring the ashamed. So, what do we do with our shame? We use it as a merciful reminder of Christ, of his acceptance, of his restoration, of his commission. And he does that for each one who is a Christian. You're not Peter. I'm not Peter. But we've been commissioned to care for God's people, to love one another, to build each other up. There's a special way in which leaders and elders have been called that way, but we've all been called to that mission. He has commissioned you. He has restored you from what you once were to care for his sheep, to shepherd them. And I think the first way we do this, especially in the area of shame, is to begin with listening ears. To begin with listening ears. To be open to hearing the secrets that are in each of our lives, the shame that we have, in a way that's not judgmental, but can hear and really listen. Can relate to and say, I may not be in that place, I might be, but I can understand the fallenness of this world. I can understand what you have hidden and how it's hurt you. Now, this doesn't mean that we, we overlook in the sense of um, just bypassing those things, but there's in a sense of the acceptance of Christ who went to those who were the, we would consider the worst in the society. It doesn't mean we minimize sh- sin or shame, but it means that we bring it out to the one who can heal and treat sin and shame. We hear so we might bring it out to the one who can hear sin and shame. This is an acceptance that really you will not find outside the church. The world has to deal with shame in some ways. And what the world does is it either minimizes sin, it, you know, says, or denies sin, or in some ways flaunts it in order to make it not sin. 
This is how the world deals with shame. Don't think about it. Don't deal with it. But it also, it just still festers there. You can't get away from it. It's still, you know that. There's a conscience that's down inside. So these flashbacks of shame, they haunt. And it's only in the church where we can truly admit the, I'd say, the weakness of the things in this world. Things that are in us. And expose the horrendous nature of them. And confront them, but confront them for healing and honor. And that begins with listening. It begins with each of us listening to one another and help each other to defeat shame through the mercy of Christ. The church, if you think about it, are full of misfits. Like, you know, Peter, we see here, he, you know, denied Jesus. Uh, James and John, sons of thunder, revolutionaries. Matthew, tax collector, was a thief. Paul, he was complicit in murder. There were, there's a list in Galatians, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, drunkards, swindlers. And then what does it say? Such were some of us, you and I. The church is full of misfits. But that shame can be exposed and covered in, the, in Christ in a way that cannot be seen in the word, world. It is transformational. That's the work of healing that takes place in knowing Christ. This leads to our last flashback we're going to consider calling following Jesus. I'm going to read verse 19 again, but we'll read 19 through 24. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? (laughs) Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers, the disciple was not to die, that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. In verse 19 and verse 22, we see the words, follow me. Now, this again takes us back to the past. It's a flashback to the past. That first meeting with Peter said, follow me. We see that throughout the scriptures. It's a call for Jesus, it calls to follow him. This is when Peter, again, had fallen at Jesus' knees. And, and he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Well, Jesus didn't accept that. He said, come, follow me. So this leads here to our final flashback, this following Jesus. In this last scene in the book of John, uh, Peter, he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved, and then we look at verse 24 and realize, well, that's John, the author of this book. And, and so Peter says about John, just hearing about his own suffering and how he, he will suffer in a way that um, not expected from what he had known, but he says, well, what about this one? What's going to happen to John in his future? And Jesus' response is very important, and I'll paraphrase in my own words. He just says, my will is for, for John is my will. You Keyword, you follow me. In other words, I have plans for my people, and your responsibility is to follow the plan for you. Keep your eyes on where you're responsible for. 
The honor of walking in the steps of Jesus is bestowed on all of his people. It is an honor to walk in the steps of Jesus and to follow him. But the path by each one follows is particular, and it's unique. It's personal. This, too, is an honor that Jesus has a personal path for you. Your following is different than someone else's following, and that's an honor that Christ gives. Jesus knows as well, though, it'll be unhelpful for Peter to be concerned about John's path. So he issues this warning about not comparing himself with John. If you want to follow Jesus well in response to his mercy, then we, you, watch out for comparing your path to others. I know when I look at others, I always find myself at some point being dissatisfied. Oh, why does he have that particular gift? Or why did I have to struggle this way? Or why does that person have that much money? Whatever it might be. I become dissatisfied. It really doesn't help me to compare myself with others. Instead, we are to learn the important principle that Jesus is telling us here about following him. And I'm going to say it's a lesson about shame. But, but it's a shame of a different sort than the shame we think about for sin. It's a shame that is honorable and unique. A shame that is honorable and unique to us. Hebrews 13 says that Jesus suffered outside the gate. And then there's this exhortation that comes to us, and it says, Therefore, go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. When Jesus says, you, you can put your name there, follow me, it is a call to a life of death to self. And it is a means to glory. A means to glory. One way the follower of Jesus forms a new and better understanding of shame is death to self. Dying to the things of our past and to follow Jesus into his shame. When Peter was restored in honor, his life wasn't just like, you know, wonderful after this. He didn't live an easy life at all. He was actually scorned by the world. More shame was put upon him. I've read in certain places about historical accounts where when Peter would preach, people would do like rooster crows at him. A little bit of heckling. (laughs) Trash talk from the past. And, And when he died, we see here in verse 19... He died in a way, some people say as well, like Jesus, a death of shame. John, he had a different path. He, he lived a longer life, it seems. But, and that's one of the reasons we're even reading this book here today, because it was written later. But the book of Revelation, where he wrote that, he was banished to an island. Also, shame, a remote island, for Christ's sake. And what these men learned, and I hope that we're learning as well, is they began to say, thank you, Lord, that I'm suffering shame on your behalf. Thank you for the honor of suffering reproach. These men found honor in a shame. That is a different way of looking at shame. As we mature and we learn to appreciate the honor of being associated with Jesus, an honor that really the world cannot tarnish. Actually, the world makes that honor even better by the way that they respond. It's an honor that is eternal and long-lasting, not worthy to be compared with the reproach 
of this world. So, what do we do with our shame? Well, we don't compare it with others. (laughs) That's not going to help us. But we do learn to recognize that the shame we might feel for being a Christian in the public square, a workplace, or school, or a club, or a team, wherever we go, it's an honor, and it's the path to a fuller fellowship with Jesus. It actually makes us, that connection that we're missing, it brings us a deeper connection by experiencing the same shame that Jesus experienced. And as Peter says here, and John does well, it ends up being a glory to God, which is an honor as well. May we all pray that this truth begins to sink into our souls. It, it, it will help us in our evangelism to see shame as an honor. It, it forms a different relationship with shame. A relationship that does not hide from shame, but treasures God's mercy for our, shim, our sinful shame, and then treasures the shame of being um, known on Christ's behalf. So, how do we live in this world with shame? Well, there's an altogether different way of living in this world. It's the way of the Christian who has experienced the mercy of Christ, the acceptance of Christ, and the marvelous honor of being restored and commissioned to live for him. Uh, Verse 25 is kind of fun at the very end. It says, Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The life of Jesus is really, you know, you, you can't account for all of it. And what that also says to us is that the honor that is going to be upon his people is really unspeakable. There'll be stories upon stories upon stories of the work of Jesus in, the, in his people's lives. And I, I don't know, I'm guessing in heaven someday we'll be recounting that forever and ever together, but just how wonderful Jesus is and how amazingly he has honored us. And we will, shall be so thankful. So like the little Marvel movie, that's a sneak preview of coming things for each of you. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Um, it's, it's unlike the world that wants to cover shame, to minimize it, to hide it. Um, you want to expose, we see, so we might be healed, we might be treated, and we might grow in relationship with you and find life and honor and purpose and have a, have a new way of thinking about this life and how we represent you, Lord. So help us. Help us to follow you. Uh, give us opportunities to testify before you in front of others. And when we do and when we, we experience shame at times, help us just say thank you, Lord, and, and, and trust you with the work. Uh, Lord, we... we We give you um, our hearts, uh, lead us and guide us. Amen.